Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. The title of the book, this book of poetry, Heart Vision, takes you deep below the surface, and the author and poet is R. Smith Angel, and she joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Welcome. Great to have you with us. Well, thank you, Steve. Well, this book, as you put it, is a collection of poetic, inspirational messages for imparting wisdom, healing, and renewal by looking beyond your circumstances in order to see your life from the inside out. Well, that's so critical that we look beyond our circumstances. We get so hung up on that, don't we? Yes, we do. You know, we end up asking the question, why? Why me, often? Yes, and I believe we should start asking the question, what am I supposed to learn? Ah, Good, good insight. What am I supposed to learn? And, and your book is divided into four sections, wisdom and growth, facing challenges, self-acceptance and renewal, and then love and honor. So before we uh, talk more about your poetry and your words of affirmation, also part of this work, give us a little bit about your background and how this all came about. Well, um... I um, am a retiree. I retired about a year and a half from uh, 35 years in the public sector as a senior program manager and analyst. And it's amazing that I believe my career um, in the public sector actually led me to this place of writing um, my poetry and that I was a course developer. I developed curriculum. I instructed nationally on a wide range of topics, and um, my focus was on how to improve products and services. And now, I'm looking to help people to improve themselves. I'm looking towards self-improvement, people improvement. So I think it's just fascinating that the next phase of my life focuses uh, on that area. Well, it seems like a natural step, like you just shared with us, So tell us the title is Heart Vision. What does the term Heart Vision mean? Heart Vision means that we need to think about our lives from the inside out instead of the outside in. Um, I want to compel readers to not focus so much on their life circumstances as much as looking at who they are and examining themselves, reflecting, thinking about their life choices, thus turning on a switch light or a search light from the inside. And when they do that, they develop what I call heart vision, an illuminated heart space. And if it's rooted in love and goodwill, and trying to find the lesson which should be a benefit to you, then you have arrived in the realm of heart business, and you're really right on the cusp of personal transformation. 
So this collection of poetic, inspirational messages, basically you could probably turn to any place in the book and, and find something that would be of help. Yes, yes, absolutely, because we basically um, take you through, or I should say I take you through a wide variety of life circumstances, a wide variety of struggles or difficulties as well as triumphs. So that, you know, you can read it and hopefully see something about your own life live from the pages and can apply those little bits of wisdom uh, embedded in the the poem in a way that it would benefit you and help you to reach the answers that you seek because they're already inside. Why do we so easily go to looking what happens to us instead of trying to learn from what happens to us, trying to, you know, uh, often we get into really tearing ourselves apart because of what happened to us. It's so easy to blame ourselves, I guess. Yeah, I believe that, um, I believe sometimes we're maybe acclimated for doing that because, Many times in our in our in our education and in our growth processes, we look um, externally. You know, we look to we use information to try to navigate instead of looking within and finding the truth within. You know, we look for external factors. We look for signals. We look for signposts, and, and that's not a bad thing. But sometimes we have to dig deeper and find out kind of what kind of, again, what kind of decisions am I making? How do I envision my life? Sometimes we're busy living and we don't really have a vision for our lives. We're just busy. We're activity-oriented, you know, instead of actually having a vision and then um, making decisions according to how we see ourselves and what we want our lives to be. So I think those are some of the contributing factors. Now, you say that this book, Heart Vision, is not a how-to book. Uh, Then how would you describe it? I would describe it as a book written from my heart to shine a light on a wide range of issues that we struggle with in the areas of you know, growing in wisdom and understanding so that we're able to make better choices, how we deal with challenges. Um, you know, so often we breathe life into challenges. Have you ever run into a situation where someone has a particular problem and a year later you talk to them and they still are talking about the same problem? Mm-hmm. And so... I say, well, why are you breathing life into that problem? Because the more you talk about it and and not examine the causes and, and, and you know, turn on that, that light, that internal light, then it's going to keep following you because you're breathing life into it. So what I try to do is try to educate people through these, these simple yet... Um, um, simple yet compelling poems to see their own lives and to begin to uh, make better decisions and to, um, to, 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 to let it minister to them in, in their own unique way.
and in their own circumstance instead of saying, follow step one, two, three, four. You know, I wanted to speak to them in their own unique way. Anyone I've spoken to, they all say, they all get something slightly different from the poem. But it depends on their own life experience and what they need at that time. Well, your title of these inspirational words, these poems, uh, some of them are very, very unique. You have some 90 poems and then uh, a bunch of words of affirmations. You know, for example, I see you, can you see me? Uh, The gardener, when we laugh, I applied Windex to my soul. I can fly, don't live in a haunted house, and... There are no answers in the darkness, and it goes on and on. Of why don't you share one? One of one of one that you'd like to share with us that stands out to you. I certainly will. I'd love to do that. Why don't I uh, share? Why don't I share the basically the title poem called Heart Vision? There you go. Very good. Go ahead. Okay. Do you, okay. Do you want me to read the poem? Please. Okay. The title is Heart Vision. And by the way, this was actually the last poem that, that I wrote out of the collection. And it begins with this. I closed my eyes, then saw inside as the outside disappeared behind the curtain of my eyes. Silently I sat, listening to my breath. Quiet, still, waiting for what my heart would reveal. There were no words to interpret or understand. Just me in my skin, feeling the light within. The warmth at my core slowly grew more and more. The light blinded my senses, enveloping me in truth and infinity. This is a magical force. This energy that defies space and time as it illuminates me from the inside. Finally, I clearly see the path leading to my destiny because I am white. I can clearly see the path to my destiny. So well put. Thank you. So as we... Really, as we ponder the things that happen to us in our lives and we're trying to make sense out of them, often we might say failures, uh, we may uh, see challenges that we might think are too big to overcome, uh, and yet you see failures and challenges as a platform for personal growth and transformation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, uh, in in the poem Hard Vision, I, you know, as I read them myself, depending on my life, what I'm going through, you know, what I'm experiencing, sometimes they 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 give me a different message, you know, than what I what I originally received when I wrote it. And um, what is a constant message though about this poem is that I, you, we. As, as human beings, as people on this planet, we are more powerful than we imagine. And as, if we gain access to our own light, we're empowered to be co-creators of our life. 
and that situations no longer define us. We, we realize that situation struggles are finite, and that when we're connected to source, to God, the universe, you know, there are many, and to the divine one, whomever you call the great master of this universe, when we realize that and understand that connection, we have unlimited potential, and our difficulties evaporate under the light of our own being and connectedness to him. Often people see the Creator or God, if they call him that, as someone who's just kind of uh, trying to catch us in a in some kind of sin and an infraction. But you see him as a as an all powerful force helping us. Absolutely, absolutely. So many people see him as just like kind of this unapproachable, inaccessible entity. You are so right. Um, you know, with this big notebook, trying to punish or condemn or constantly looking to judge. But I see him as only a breath away. He's a part of me and I'm a part of him. And because he said that everything he created is good, then I am good. And goodness is love. And so I, I simply believe, you know, it's so simple. I believe that when we understand this truth, we're empowered to tap into his majesty and power, which is also our own majesty and power, and we're able to become our best self. I really believe that. We've been listening to R. Smith Angel. She is the poet, the inspirational leader of her book, Heart Vision, takes you deep below the surface. Uh, tell us, how do we get your book? Um, you can get my book by going to my website at www.rsmithangel.com. There are no spaces between it. It's just rsmithangel.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you so much for having me. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled Life's Funny Ways, and our author joining me from Australia is Angela Davis. Welcome, Angela, to the program. Oh, hi, Jay. How are you? 
Very fine. I am curious. The front of your book has uh, some wonderful artwork, very whimsical. Tell me why you decided to share your poetry with the world. You have 153 pages of uh, wonderful material. Where did the inspiration come from? Well, the inspiration was just life. I'd been um, writing about my feelings and how I see the world for about the last 15 years, and it's just been recently that I decided to put some of them into a book and share them with um, everyone. I've had lots of people that um, who know me that connected with the poems and said that it had helped them, so decided to put it into a book. Would you describe your writing style as uh, whimsical, as fun, as serious? How would you how would you describe it? Um, all of the above, probably. Um, it's just how it comes out. It's, um, ooh, it just comes out in, in funny little poems and sometimes serious, sometimes happy, sometimes sad. Hence the pictures at the front of the book. Uh, are you a native Australian or were you from another country before uh, arriving in Australia? Um, I was... Yeah, I was actually born in Wales, in the UK, and emigrated to Perth, Australia, um, probably 20 years ago. Excellent. Some of your poetry has some uh, you know, very uh, charming charming titles. Uh, you've got Albert Edward, My Best Friend. You reflect on housework, Baron Mouse, and yep. other topics. Could you share one of your poems with my listening audience? Yes, I could. I've just opened my book, and... Um, it's come up with good night, God bless. Um, uh, so it goes, in the middle of the night, I sometimes wake up and think, I cannot get back to sleep until I've had a drink. I lay there, wide awake, you know, the thoughts go around in my head. Maybe I may get back to sleep if I eat some bread. My thirst is quenched, my tummy's full, but still I do not sleep. I start to get frustrated, but then remember to count some sheep. I get to over 100 before it really dawned on me. But I have forgotten to say goodnight to someone who loves me. I get out of bed and kneel right down and quietly say to you, Good night, God, I'm sorry I forgot. I hope I didn't wake you too, for I could not settle until I thanked you for being with me today, for sending me lots of love and special things to help me find my way. So good night, God bless. I hope that you can feel my love for you and keep it in a special place with the candle I light for you too. I love that. That is uh, not only has some charm to it, but it also has a very strong underlying message. Uh, I think there are a lot of individuals that could relate to that. Is there a specific market or target audience that you had written your poetry for? Um, well, just basically the general population. It's um, it's not for one person or another. Everyone has their faith um, or a person that they... Um, you know, draw some inspiration from, and it's it's for everyone. It's a general population that maybe doesn't always go to church, that maybe believes in something but doesn't know what. Um, it's it's for people who believe in 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 a spirit or a guidance that they have, um, and who likes to connect without um, actually reading books or um, listening to people that. They have to crawl through lots and lots of words before they can understand something. It's for the basic, everyday person like me. Would you describe your book as inspirational in style, or is it just a book that inspires people? I would say a book that inspires people, that um, lets them know that lots of other people feel the same way that 
they do and thinks the same way that they do, but doesn't always know how to express it. I love the way you expressed your first uh, bit of poetry. Do you have something else you can share with us? Um, well, I'll just get open the book, and we've come to um, Roses in the Park. It's on page 84. Okay. Um, it goes like this. Life is beautiful. It's a bed of roses. But Jesus Christ and Holy Moses, how did you know? What did you see when you decided to put your faith in me? Planted the seed, then let it rest. Your time in me, you did invest. You kept me waiting in the dark, strengthening my roots in life's park. You watched me break out off the ground and gently nurtured any flaws you found. You sat and watched me from afar, by day sending your sun at night a star. The seasons they come, the seasons they go. You showered me with love and watched me grow. And even when it was cold outside, you were always there right by my side. To grow up strong, you gave to me a pile of shit through which I could not see. You protected me when I was weak and seemed to be stuck in the mud, so to speak. You had the faith that I would learn, knowing that in the end to you I would turn. I'd ask you if you'd like to help me wipe the mud from my eyes so that I could see. You pruned my stem and then my branches, and in your wisdom you took no chances. And then you tenderly whispered in my ear, you can open your eyes now, have no fear, for it's time to wake up, now it is spring. It's time to look at your beauty within. You have grown so beautiful, that's for sure. A rose made in heaven that is so pure. Mm. Well, those Without are... life and the stuff you go through, and how you come out the other end if you want. Yes, uh, there's nice visuals in that, and some that are a little startling. But they all point to, a, <laughs> point to a positive ending. I like that. And they do rhyme, which is sometimes different. Some of my poets that I interview, their poetry is very free-flowing and, and doesn't have a rhythmic pattern to it. I like the way yours uh, has a rhythmic pattern. Now, in writing this, did you write this over a number of years, or was this something that you just decided, I want to become a recognized poet, and I'm going to sit down and start composing stories and items that I can share? No, it just all started coming out. Um, basically, I was a sole parent. Um, and at night when my kids would go to bed and I had no one to talk to, well, I did have someone to talk to and finally started to do that. I found my roots again, turned um, to my face and started talking about all the different stuff that you didn't always have time to talk to your friends to or didn't have time to go to church, didn't have time to talk to other people, so I just started writing it all down, all my thoughts and feelings, and I would get answers come back to me. And, you know, basically when you're sitting there and asking different questions, you know, about why am I here, what am I doing, what's life all about, you know, why am I in this mess again, and the answers would come back. And, um, yeah, basically we go through some stuff in our lives, but if we learn from it, we come through the other end um, with all that experience, so basically everything just started coming out on paper and I didn't choose to write in a certain way, it just came out that way. Just came out that way, and, and I guess it would be uh, correct to assume there was some, uh, some parts of this were self-discovery or personal inspiration. The majority of it, yes. <laughs> how, how would you... It's all about life experiences. How, yes, and how would you introduce this book to my 
listeners in a couple of sentences. What would you say to them to inspire them to purchase a copy of this? Um, well, basically, it's a book all about life and its journey. Um, it's all about feelings and thoughts and connecting to spiritual God again. And sometimes when you want to pick me up, it um, you know when you're feeling down about something, you can just pick up the book and open a page, and you can virtually guarantee that it sort of gives you a bit of a lift and um, explains things in a simple way. Well, there are a lot and of topics um, that you've you've covered that are are you know topics that all of us face at one time or another. We have questions about our identity and about heartfelt and headstrong beliefs and and other things. Mighty Mouse, even Bear Housework, My Gift from God, I love that title. There are a lot of things that we think about but can't express, and you've done a beautiful job of expressing them. What is the difference that your book makes from other books in the marketplace, do you think? Um, Well, basically, your question is answered in a simple poem. Sometimes when you're looking at different inspirational books, um, like I've got a pile on my shelf now, I've got my favorite writers too, um, but sometimes I don't have time to read a whole book, and with my book you can just open a page and it's there in a simple poem for you to understand, and it's uncanny sometimes how often you open a book to a certain page and it will tell you certain things that you need to hear right then. I've had lots of friends tell me that they've opened it up and it's just been the right page at the right time for them rather than having to read through a whole book and trying to to decipher what's in the pages. It's like you ask the question and you get the answer virtually straight away, even if it's one you don't always want to hear at the time. You mentioned other authors. Are there authors that have inspired you in your writing progress? Yes. And who would those be? Yeah. I am Levant She's been one of my favorites. I, w- I can honestly say she's really good. Um, ben Elton, he's a British writer. I'm just sitting on my, in my chair looking at my bookshelf. I would say they're two of the most inspirational ones that I've um, had. James Ren- uh, Redfield, who wrote The Tenth Insight. And, of course, Nelson Mandela. He's sitting on my bookshelf, too. I didn't know Nelson was visiting you. That's wonderful. Uh, Angela, since the book has been out, have you received any type of feedback? What's the response been from individuals who have read your poetry? And I know you've already commented a little bit on this, but I wanted a little more detail. Um, I get a lot of feedback from people who've been in crisis, and they say, oh, my God, I've, I've read bits of your book, or I turn the page, and it's just what I needed at that time. Um, I think because most of the writing, I would say 99%, is all about me and the time that I had crisis and I would write questions to my God um, and ask about my feelings and experiences and ask them to be explained and I would get the answers come to, you know, straight to me in writing it down. So it, it was um, very good for a lot of people in crisis, a lot of my friends have come, oh my God, that's just what I needed. And sometimes the response isn't what you want to hear either, is it? But it was what I needed to hear. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Uh, we uh, ask for things yeah. or want to know answers that just are not what we want to hear. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I used to ask the question a few times and I'd still get the same answer. So it was obviously what I needed to hear. But with a lot of humour from God as well. A lot of people think that he hasn't got a sense of humour. There's a lot of humour there. Beautifully done. I, I like the fact that you've taken a very simple approach to not only posing the question, but also giving the answers that you have uh, discovered. So I like that. But what was the challenge? Was there challenges in getting this completed and off to the presses? Uh, Yeah, the the main one being that um, most places do not publish any poetry at all. Um, Actually, this was the um, one that mainly publishes poetry. Um, So that was really good that... um, you had a lot of help from actually with, with that. Most other people, as soon as you mention poetry, they don't want to know. They don't even look at the content of it. So that's the, the biggest hurdle that you have to um, get over uh, because they don't even want to know whether it's spiritual, whether it's connecting to God, whether it's got good stories or anything in it or, or helpful to other people. As soon as you mention the word poetry, Actually, this was the only one that would um, consider publishing. Well, thank you for being persistent and getting this done. It's a good book, good read, a lot of great poetry. Title again is Life's Funny Ways and Our Author, and I would say Observer of Life, Angela Davis. Angela, thank you for joining me from Australia. Where do we get copies of your book? Um, you can get them through Ex Libris, um, uh, uh, and I think I'll have to pass, uh, hang on, what's the website, au. I think that's, or .gif.com, um, and through them, if you punch in Life's Funny Ways, Angela Davis, you'll be able to get copies through Ex Libris. And I'm assuming they can also do a search online and also request this at their local bookstore, and they'll order it in for them. So thank you again for sharing your time with me today. Have you started a website as yet? Yes, it's AngelaDavisBooks.com. AngelaDavisBooks.com. And it's as as it sounds, Angela Davis. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. For Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com.
Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Our book today has, for some people, a controversial theme. The title is No Need for God, and our author is Peter William Clement. Sir, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Jay. Tell thank me about you for the opportunity. And you also have a doctorate uh, associated with your name. Tell a little of your history and why you chose to write this book. Well, I uh, I have a master's degree from uh, St. Michael's College in Vermont, an MA from St. John's in New York, and a PhD from uh, UMass. Um, I, I chose to write the book because I became aware of certain scientific. Uh, insights that uh, Catholic theology was refusing to accommodate. And I thought that if Catholicism wants to remain a vital religion, it will have to face certain scientific realities. For example, uh, it will have to face the reality of the Big Bang universe. The Big Bang Theory is now virtually confirmed. In fact, uh, just recently, uh, last month, uh, the uh, BICEP-2 telescope was able uh, to detect what's called B-mode polarization in the CMB, that is the cosmic microwave background radiation, which uh, we see 380,000 years after the Big Bang. Mm. Now, this confirmed a theory that uh, if inflation had taken place at, say, 10 to the minus 36th of the first second, it would have set up gravitational waves and these gravitational waves would have warped the photons that appear in the CMB, the cosmic microwave background. And so over the last uh, 20 or 30 years, uh, astronomers have been looking for this uh, uh, swirling pattern of photons called uh, B-mode, polarization. Mm-hmm. Uh, this B-mode polarization was just detected last month, confirming that, in fact, well, most likely inflation did take place at 10 to the minus 36th of the first second and did set up gravitational waves. And so that is almost... Uh, incontrovertible proof, uh, not simply evidence, but proof that the Big Bang Theory is pretty close to being right on target. But, now, that, does, but that doesn't, just, just as a, as a uh, I guess, a, a question, that doesn't uh, necessarily do away with the existence of a god, though, correct? Oh, no, 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 it does not. But you cannot have a religion that depends on the historical facticity of Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam and Eve would have lived about 6,000 years ago. The Big Bang took place 13.82 billion light years ago. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, any religion that is based on the historical facticity of Adam and Eve uh, just is now superannuated. It it has to, it does not in any way accommodate cosmological reality. Does it? Uh, does I'm sorry. Did, uh, since you're familiar with the Catholic uh, doctrine, I'm not as familiar as you might be. Right. W- was there not a passage of scripture in Genesis that talks about the uh, sons of uh, God and the sons of men uniting and and God casting Satan and his uh, his followers to earth so wouldn't that be a possibility that there were inhabitants prior to that were not man inhabitants prior to the creation of uh, Adam and Eve if you are a believer that kind of you know accepts that uh, that idea yeah in fact the catholic church no longer well, what they know about uh, that passage in Scripture, but they s- still insist that Adam and Eve were the first parents of all seven billion people on this planet, including every Hindu, every Buddhist, uh, every Shin- uh, every Taoist, every Confucianist, uh, and every Shinto. Uh, they They still maintain that that Adam and Eve were the first parents of the human race, that they committed some kind of original sin, and that this... Am I, am I still with you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm sorry. I yeah. don't know if it's my phone here. That they committed some kind of original sin. And according to St. Augustine, this original sin was transmitted to all their inheritance by the semen during sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. And when Pope Pius XII wrote Humani, uh, Humani Generis in 1950, he was still clinging to this idea that original there was an, an there was an Adam and Eve that they did commit an original sin, and that it was transmitted. He doesn't say by the semen anymore, but he says transmitted by generation to every human being who lives uh, on this continent. Right. And when Pope uh, when Pope John Paul uh, uh, spoke before the Pontifical Academy uh, in uh, 1996, he was still not disclaiming uh, this idea of uh, Adam and Eve being the first parents of the human race and committing a sin that was transmitted to our later generations. Now, tell me now about... we know, yes. this is not a matter of speculation, we know, uh, every branch of every science knows that the human genus begins to appear in the fossil record about two million years ago. Uh, Homo habilis, or handyman, homo ergaster, or workman, appear at that point, and Homo ergaster possibly evolved into Homo erectus, uh, from whom or to whom we can trace our own ancestral lineage. Uh, so people have been around for, uh, modern humans have been around for two million years. Mm. Uh, the, the first parent, the first people, excuse me, were not created in the Garden of Eden 6,000 years ago. Uh, that's utterly ludicrous, and to continue to cling to that idea is what I think uh, is uh, making Catholic religion uh, less and less viable, uh, more and more obscurantist, 
uh, and more and more opposed uh, to the free search for truth. Now, you have three, um, 397 pages. Who do you think is going to find your work interesting and want to read it or find it beneficial? Well, I hope everybody. Uh, I hope believers, I really hope believers will read it. I uh, I think atheists and agnostics will, hopefully will add a little bit to their own feelings, but uh, I called up uh, my uh, one of my former colleagues at the college where I teach and uh, asked him to debate with me uh, about the book, and he absolutely refused. Uh, I know he won't read it, and I think it's unfortunate. I think that uh, the Catholic religion simply has to accommodate the theory of evolution, uh, which is no longer disputed by anyone, by any scientist, and uh, the theory of evolution simply excludes uh, creationism and any other kind of uh, supernatural influence. Uh, humans evolved from non-humans over the course of uh, billions of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all share a common ancestor with uh, bats and flying lemurs. That explains and my mother-in-law. And trace our evolutionary history... Uh, all the way back to uh, the Cambrian explosion uh, between 488 million and 542 million years ago. During those 50 million years, all the major modern phyla appear, including uh, the vertebrae, uh, the the vertebrae phylum, of which we are a member. In fact, we have some notion of what Luca, the last universal common ancestor, might have uh, looked like. There's a tiny creature called Pachaia grossolans, a uh, two-inch worm-like creature with a notochord or a, sp- a primitive spinal column. Uh, so that tiny creature, and I say this with tongue-in-cheek, but a tiny creature like that, or similar to that, could well be the last universal common ancestor of all uh, of all vertebra- of all vertebrae and of all mammals who are now uh, living on the planet. That explains some of the people I've met. You know, they have that kind of that feel. That explains the the uh, the disposition of some of the people I've met in my lifetime. You know, the worm. Uh, uh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are rather vermicular. I guess that's the word. Yes, sir. You you have the vermicular to uh, to discuss that. I'd, I'm I'm limited in my uh, in my discourse abilities uh, when it comes to science. You spent uh, I'm sure a lot of time researching this. 397 pages. How long did it take you to actually get this uh, completed, Peter? Well, you know, uh, Jay, what happened was during all of my career, I was te- teaching in a liberal arts program. Never knew a thing about science, and uh, shortly after I retired in 2005, uh, 2005, I picked up a book by Bill Bryson called The Short History of Everything, and he, Bryson says the same thing. I knew nothing about science, so I set out to find out. And I read that book, and I thought, my God, I know nothing. 
Hmm. And I still know nothing. I can't read an equation, for example, but I can at least know about science. I can at least tell you what uh, evolution is about and uh, give you at least a brief history of it and a little bit of what uh, quantum theory is about and a little bit of what cosmology is about. Uh, and I can explain it in a very simple uh, layman's vocabulary. Uh, you, as I said, you won't find any equations in my book. But uh, I have, I a, I have I just... a, one of the questions that kind of pops into my head. You uh, are talking about God, and, and I'm sure you also have addressed the uh, the character and the personality of Jesus Christ, or is called right. Christ. Uh, do you feel like he was God? Oh, God, no. Well, uh, well who was he? <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ uh, may or may not have existed. If he did exist, we really don't know a thing about him, because the apostles were illiterate. They could not speak, uh, I mean, they could not write Aramaic, let alone Greek. The first things we know about Christ were written in Greek. Uh, the earliest gospel is Mark. About, wasn't wasn't uh, Luke a doctor, though, and, and a couple of the other well, individuals were that, pretty sharp that guys? That claim is made. I don't, there were no such things as doctors. Right. Uh, they say Luke was a doctor. Physici- physician actually was the uh, was the term I think they used. And yeah. Paul, who uh, wrote during the New Testament time, was a uh, was certainly a scholar. Uh, he yeah. he was highly uh, regarded by the Jewish faith at that time. Right. But the the reason why Jesus Christ could not possibly be God is because. He is ignorant of every scientific insight that has enlightened mankind over the last 2,000 years. For example, if he were really God, don't you think he would have left some knowledge of the germ theory of disease? Uh, 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 Hundreds of millions of people have been uh, massacred or killed by plague, pestilence, uh, famine, fire, flood, earthquake, etc. If Christ were God and knew about the germ theory of disease, uh, which was not discovered until Louis Pasteur in the 1860s and a little somebody else, uh, Voxman, just a little bit before him, uh, he would have been able to, to save the lives of literally hundreds of millions of his own children. Uh, if you think of God as identifiable with Yahweh of the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, and yet all of these hundreds of millions of people died because Jesus Christ, whoever he was, did not leave us the germ theory of disease. He knew everything that uh, shepherds and farmers knew about uh, in the first century, but he knew nothing of anything that's any insight that has enlightened uh, science uh, has enlightened humanity over the last 2,000 years. And here's the other reason, uh, Jay. Jesus Christ, like you and I, was a direct descendant of one billionth of one percent of matter over antimatter that survived the primordial uh, matter-antimatter collisions. None of us would be here about that one billionth of one percent of matter over antimatter that survived. 
uh, and that left us uh, with the elementary particles created at the Big Bang, hmm. uh, the hydrogen and the helium, the surviving quarks and electrons, the first atomic nuclei, and the first electrically neutral atoms, which appeared 375,000 years after the Big Bang. Without those atoms, Jesus Christ, J, yes. and I yeah. could not exist. Mm -hmm. uh, so he certainly cannot be the creator of atoms that came into existence nearly 14 billion years before uh, he existed. Uh, and the other thing, to, I think, the thing to really notice is that right at present, since uh, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson discovered the CMB, the Cosmic Microwave Background, in 1965, we know that we live in a giant microwave oven. That's not good. And the walls of this oven, it's a wall of fire that surrounds the universe. And uh, we can see 13.82 billion light years out to this wall of fire. We have so far not been able to get back to the, uh, the, to the Big Bang itself, although, as I said, we did discover those gravitational waves, which is a, an important clue. But think about this for a moment. Photons from the CMB were traveling through the universe at a velocity of 186,000 miles for 9 billion years before our sun and solar system were created out of a giant molecular cloud uh, 4.56 billion years ago. Now, it has taken nearly all of that 4.5 billion years to uh, create uh, Homo sapiens. So we have been here for a very little time uh, in comparison Compared with the, the existence of the universe. Well, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, and uh, it's we, really, hopelessly, religion is hopelessly anthropocentric. We are not the center. Uh, of time, and we are not the center of space. Uh, well, one of the good things about this this uh, dissertation and this idea and your book is that uh, once we uh, kick the bucket, the bucket is empty, right? Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing left but uh, time and space, and perhaps reappear, reappearing in another molecular molecular age. Excuse me, uh, Peter. This is a complicated book in some ways. You 397 pages. Uh, there must have been some challenges in getting all of this uh, research into one book. What were those? Well, you know what happened, Jay. This is kind of interesting. Uh, as I was learning science for the first time. I was also uh, uh, exercising on a Stairmaster, and uh, as you might know, this is intolerably boring. Yes. And one of the, one of the ways I uh, came into possession of this scientific knowledge, of which I was totally ignorant, was to uh, sort of rehearse it while I was on the Stairmaster, and I'd let this business run through my mind. Uh, while, while I was on the Stairmaster for an hour every day. And then I thought, my God, I'm beginning to understand some of this business. 
uh, pardon the expression, my God. Uh, Must be a little I, I'm G. I'm starting to understand yeah. some of this business, so I'm going to write it down. Mm. And I wrote it down, and uh, then I had all these pages, and I said, ah, what the... What the heck, I'll send these off and see if somebody's interested. And uh, Ex Libris uh, was kind enough to see the merit of the work and decided to publish it. Well, let me share. But actually, once I started uh, yes. acquiring this knowledge, see, I was lucky enough to run into certain writers who were so exciting, uh, like Carl Sagan and uh, Stephen Jay Gould. And they were so excited about science that they excited me. And uh, so once I started to to read the science, it really, uh, as I say, excluding uh, equations and things like that. I mean, I understand what uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, for example, might say about black holes. Mm. But I can't read any of the equations that he uses to describe Hawking radiation or anything right. like that. So the the short answer is that once I started reading the, these people, uh, Victor J. Stenger is another uh, writer. Michael Shermer, uh, Richard Dawkins. Uh, Dawkins is a sensational writer. As you might know, he wrote The God Delusion. Yes. And. Uh, attracted a lot of attention, but he's primarily an evolutionary biologist, and he writes with such conviction about the beauty of science that you can't help but be seduced. And so it wasn't as hard as I, as I thought it might be. Well, the name of the book is No Need for God, and our author, Peter William Clement. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Uh, this book may be a challenge to some, but a reading that perhaps uh, will enlighten them. Where can they get copies of your book? Well, thank you, Jay. Yes, uh, it's published by Ex Libris. It's available in uh, an electronic format and uh, hardback and paperback. And uh, it's available at uh, Barnes & Noble and uh, at uh, Amazon. Uh, so... Those are probably the easiest places, but in the next month or so, it will also be available in many of the local bookstores in Massachusetts. Excellent. And they can also go into a bookstore and uh, request the book by name, No Need for yeah. God, and by under your name, and they will be able to locate it. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing the background story into the uh, the creation, excuse me for saying that, of the universe, the Big Bang Theory and otherwise. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Thank you for being such an accommodating host. Uh, I feared getting someone who was rather pompous, but uh, you've been a joy to talk to. Well, somebody's taken the air out of my chair. I don't know what happened to it, but uh, great visiting <laughs> with you today. That's a good way to put it. All right. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.